Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The attacks continue in Israel. The bombs continue to fly from Hamas. The response continues with force. But how did this one start? And what's with people taking a look at President Trump and the Abraham Accords and saying, oh, like that mattered? You think this all has to do with moving an embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? Since when is it wrong to recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization as it is? If you saw me on Newsmax just yesterday, man, you know, I delivered on that subject. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Let's dig in deeper to what's going on, why it's going on, the response and how it stops. Aviv Ezra joins us right now. He is the Consulate General of Israel to the Midwest, based out of Chicago. He uh, cares for the entire Midwest region of the United States. Uh, Sir, it's always good to have you back. Let's start with uh, the basics. This began just a few days ago, if you will, this this specific bit of fighting. Uh, but the question is, how did this begin and how has it turned into the level of bombing, hundreds of bombs launched from Hamas into Israel, as we've seen? Well, good morning. And once again, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Look, this was, as you said, extremely tense 48 hours. I just talked to my parents. They're sitting in shelters, uh, being bombed. Uh, Reminds me of the days of the Second World War. This is obviously unacceptable. Uh, Thousand rockets until now, millions in shelter, death, injured. And uh, I continue to ask the same question before we go into the roots of where it's coming from. But I continue to ask the same question that I've asked in the past, the WWAD question, what should America do? What would America do if something like this would have happened? If not a thousand, a hundred rockets would rain on, on your citizen or 10 rockets or one rocket will, will rain on the citizen. I know what America would do. America will exercise its right for self-defense. Uh, on this, uh, I believe, I would like to believe that's correct, but sometimes with uh, today's power structure, I'm not 100% sure. The reports are that you have dozens of Palestinians dead, you have Israelis dead. This all starts with, as I have read the reporting, rocks being thrown at Jews, at Israelis, at the Temple Mount. How did this specific fight escalate? Okay, so so first of all, you know, let's talk about what happened in the last three weeks. We're talking about a combination of uh, of uh, the Ramadan, the holy Muslim uh, month of Ramadan, and a political situation where Hamas was left out and uh, and uh, an election that was canceled, so Hamas was left out from an opportunity to take control of the of the Palestinian Authority, and they wanted to project relevance, and they were looking for an excuse. So what happened is that it began with terror attacks in Judea and Samaria, where they killed Jews. And then there were attacks against Jews and Israelis in the old city of Jerusalem. And then there were attacks at worshippers in the Western Wall from Al-Aqsa. And then they escalated it to rockets at Jerusalem, the same Jerusalem that supposedly they are attempting to protect. Now they're shooting at it. 
And then they escalated to rockets at the south part of Israel. And now they cover the entire state of Israel, as I mentioned, with a thousand rockets. But, but you know, the, the, the truth be told, Tony, that we need to zoom out and understand that this, these are just excuses that they're looking for in order to escalate the situation. Because we, what we have here is a choice between a radical, vicious, murderous re- regime in the shape of Hamas, or are we supporting a liberal democracy fighting for its life and democratic values, democracy's values in a tough neighborhood? Talking to Aviv Ezra, he is the Council General of Israel to the Midwest of the United States. Discuss with me, uh, if, if, if you would, sir. When you talk about a thousand rockets, a thousand missiles raining down on Israel, the the funding of this uh, comes from Iran. Iran funds Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. On this, I make no uh, disagreement. But from where are these missiles coming that a thousand missiles can land all over Israel? So you hit the nail on its head because the source of the financing is Iran, but it's not just the source of financing. It's the source of the technology, the source of the know-how, and the source of the ability, the self-ability for them to self-produce. What they've been doing since 2014, while Israel was investing in peace accords with other moderate Arab regimes, which, by the way, is working superb due to the previous administration's uh, initiative, uh, while we were working with moderate Arab regimes to build peace, they were preparing for war. And then they prepared in a way that they have their self-ability to produce more. They have the self-technology and the know-how from Iran. And they have the materials in what we call a dual-use material. So on the one hand, they're complaining that we are limiting uh, certain materials for them to, for example, construct uh, civilian homes, etc. But on the other hand, we know that they take this material and they use it to build rockets against us. No doubt about that. So you have, we know, we know as I said, Iran is, is doing the funding because this entire conversation still is uh, about Iran and Iran wanting to wipe Israel off the map. This is what brings in the conversation of President Joe Biden and brings in the conversation of the Abraham Accords and former President Donald Trump. Is it seen that because Joe Biden is now president of the United States, Hamas and Iran feel more emboldened to attack Israel because they believe that Israel does not have backup from the U.S.? Well, we know that uh, in that choice that I described between uh, uh, a liberal democracy fighting for its life and between a radical, vicious, murderous regime like Hamas, we know that the American people and the American elected officials uh, in a a transcending administration and in a bipartisan manner, and again, I'm putting aside certain radical elements, uh, are full gear supporting Israel's rights for self-defense. The Secretary of State... Uh, called the foreign minister, uh, Secretary of State Bill Blinken, uh, called Foreign Minister Ashkenazi, uh, the national security advisor called our national security advisor, and they understand that Israel cannot stand down while our citizens and civilians are being harassed and attacked on a daily basis. So now let's get into the heavy stuff, sir. Talking to Aviv Ezra, the Council General of Israel to the Midwest of the United States. 
I want to get into where this ends. I want to know from you, sir, what is Israel's plan? We've heard the talk from from Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I also would like to know where Benny Gans is on this, as he will soon be taking over, unless, of course, that's changed as well. It's Israeli politics. It's difficult to keep up. He has said that the response will be fierce. He has said, uh, he has even referred to it as attack. That's the quote that's attributed to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The question is, is this the moment that Israel says Hamas is no more? Is this the moment that Israel says we're fully prepared to take the Gaza Strip back? Is this Israel saying enough is enough? Or is this Israel being the standard Israel as we've seen it, which is sometimes, for some of us, far too kind, and saying as long as it stops, we'll try and figure out peace one more time? It's a, it's a very important junction, and I understand the distinction you're making. I, I think what's pretty clear to everybody is appeasing the appeasement uh, towards Hamas doesn't work. Appeasing them and trying to find, and this is what we try to do, to seek equilibrium with them. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work with an organization that seeks to annihilate who you are, what you are, and your entire existence. <laughs> the, only, the best thing that can happen with them is that you're kicking the can down the road. So the cabinet needs to make a decision. And as you said, the prime minister said that the gloves are off right now and go after all of the Hamas interests. And you can you can actually map them. There's a roadmap. There's a there are financial interests. There are uh, people that are uh, that are uh, Hamas interest in Gaza, Hamas interest in the West Bank, Hamas interest in even in Jerusalem. You have their uh Many of their operatives that are now in Israeli jail are still conducting and running the show from Israeli jails because we are not pressing them enough. There are many ways that we can do it. And I think you're right. The, the, the gentle approach, which could be called appeasement, does not work with a radical, vicious murder regime like Hamas. No doubt about it. I know sometimes I'm, I've been called very, very direct, and you and I have known each other for a little while now. This is not your first time on the show, so allow me to be a lot direct. Is Israel and Israeli leadership prepared for war with Iran, and can it happen now? Look, with Iran, uh, which, which you're zooming out now from the Hamas conflict to Iran, which I think you, you're doing in a, in, a, in a rightly manner, because at the end of the day, Hamas is a proxy of Iran. With Iran, we have a very clear um, uh, policy, and the, and the policy is that because of the same rationale that this is a, uh, a regime that uh, is sworn to annihilate Israel, we will make sure that they will not have nuclear capabilities uh, come, come down the road. I'm not going to elaborate exactly our roadmap and, and, uh, and our plans, but we are committed to that. And the reason we're committed to that, it's not because it's just a a game for us in the backyard or something. This is an existential threat for the state of Israel. And therefore, when we say that we're committed to prevent them from going nuclear, being able to have a red button with, a, with, with, with an opportunity to press it against us, is that we are committed with all the capacity that we have within our hands, including working with our friends that should understand that uh, having a radical regime like Iran with a nuclear capability is bad news, not just for their friends in Israel, not for their allies in the GCC countries, but rather for the entire world. Those friends would con- would include the United States. And there was no argument that when President Trump was president, uh, that it was. 
You have Joe Biden getting back into the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is to say the Iran nuclear deal. You have uh, people who are part of his administration, like John Kerry, who have, according to sources, including the Iranians, been uh, giving information to the Iranians about Israeli movements and actions. Does Israel consider the Biden administration and therefore the United States a friend at this time and maybe a better question, a strong friend to join them in the fight against terrorism and Iran's spreading of terrorism? Look, when it comes to the JCPOA, we are very clear. We're very clear with the with this administration, with past administration. We think it's wrong to kick the can down the road. We think that sunset uh, provisions over there that uh, disappear after 10 years, 12 years, and get them to the nuclear uh, uh, path 10 years uh, from now is, is wrong because it's 10 years is nothing. It's short uh, distance in, in history. We think that uh, uh, we are not in 2015 anymore. This is a totally different ballgame. We know that they lie to the United States. We know they lie to the world. We know that they are uh, enriching for 60 percent which means that there's no other reason to do it unless you want to go for a military program. And we know that at the end of the day, these guys are very good negotiators. So we, uh, what we are doing with this current administration, by administration is making sure that, A, you know, we don't, allies should not be surprised. And again, it's not just Israel. It's also Bahrain and the UAE and Saudi and Egypt. Nobody wants, and Jordan, nobody wants to see Iran go nuclear. This is one of the biggest mistakes is that people think it's just an Israeli personal matter here. <laughs> this should be a European matter. This should be a Gulf country, GCC countries matter. It should be, of course, the United States matter. Nobody wants to see them go nuclear. And at the end of the day, I think the first thing is not to surprise allies. So we need to be part of, of the process. And, and also, when there is a friction, we have to do it in a smart way to prepare to prevent the other side from utilizing it against us. I don't disagree with anything you said, but it wasn't the, the, the question I asked. Do, do Israelis believe they have a friend in the Biden administration? We, we, know, we know President Biden for 47 years. We believe and we know that uh, his kishkes within inside, he's, uh, he's committed to Israel's right for self-defense. He's committed to Israel's right uh, for sovereignty. He is he's a, he's a big friend of Israel. Does that mean that we're not going to have frictions and we're going to have misunderstanding? No, it's, it's okay we're even within the families to have misunderstandings. But as I said before, the idea is not to surprise each other and the idea is to make sure that your allies' interests are taken care of while you're progressing with other interests around the world. And we are working to achieve that well, with the Biden administration. I, I agree with you that we didn't have that challenge with the Trump administration because we saw eye to eye on, I would say, 100% of the topics, including moving the embassy to Jerusalem, including recognizing our rights on the Golan Heights, including uh, many, many other topics, including JCPOA, of course, first and foremost. So I agree that the previous administration was 100% sync. It doesn't mean that we don't have a superb support from the Biden administration, but we do have uh, certain frictions that need to be addressed, and that's that's why we're that's why we have diplomats in in Washington and in Israel. Look, there are always family uh, squabbles, but it's important at times like these to know who is mishpuka. 
Aviv Ezra, <laughs> the Council General uh, from Israel to the Midwest. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're in the U.S. or in Israel right now, uh, but certainly I hope for for uh, your, your parents uh, stay safe and stay well and stay healthy. And we will check in with you uh, possibly later uh, this week uh, and into the future weeks about what's been going on. Aviv Ezra, always a, a pleasure, so sir. Much. By the Thank way, you, you can so follow. Much. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for the peace of Israel. Thank you so much. You can follow Aviv on Twitter at A-V-I-V-E-Z. Z-R-A. That is Aviv Ezra. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Ellen DeGeneres is going to end her talk show. I'm sorry, I needed a, a complete 180 story after the discussions on Israel. And I'm, I've got so much more to get into there. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, my appearance on Newsmax. And really, uh, we're, we're going to do a part two dig in on, on what it's going to take. I, you know, I, I appreciate always Aviv Ezra and the diplomatic answers the Council General uh, gives. And he also gives some very uh, clear, honest uh, assessment. But I think sometimes you got to kind of read a little bit into maybe where some other feelings and thoughts are. I'll get into more of that coming up. Ellen DeGeneres ending the talk show after 19 seasons. Why? It's not a challenge anymore. That's not why she's ending the talk show. She's ending the talk show because her reputation has been radically damaged. Now, she says she was going to end after 16 seasons, but she got pushback from affiliates and the stations. No, no, no. She got paid a ridiculous boatload of dollars, and she wasn't Seinfeld. It was like, no, I'm done. No, she took the money. She couldn't, she couldn't walk away from it, right? People who are artistically finished, they're done. They walk away. They've had a good time. Thank you. And sometimes those people are ridiculous. Oh, hi there, uh... Uh, Shelly Long, how are you? Oh, wow. David Caruso, what's going on with you? Dude, you got to you gotta know your crazies. Pulling that out of Wayne Rogers, if he didn't make money in stocks. Remember, Wayne Rogers was Trapper, and he left MASH after, or is it, no, it wasn't, it wasn't him, it was McLean Stevenson who left, left, left after the first season. Henry Blake, Colonel Blake, and so what'd they do? Killed him off the show. You're not leaving because it's not a challenge. You're leaving because we have learned that you're kind of a nasty person and you have a nasty staff. You certainly have a nasty executive producer on social media. Holy cow. I mean, that's why you're leaving. Just say so. Why are you leaving? Because I'm 63 and I've got all the money and I'm done. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take Portia out for dinner and a movie. That's what you're going to do. You don't have to worry about anything. You've won the game. Just say so. Just say so. Now, I've got a lot. Oh, my gosh. The gas shortage? Is it coming to the Midwest? I've got a breakdown fully and completely on, on that. And please don't ask me to care about Liz Cheney. I'll talk about it, but don't ask me to care now that she's out of leadership. Good Lord. Oh, and I, you know, more on Israel. How about Trevor Noah? Anybody who watches this damn fool. Uh, More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.
And the gas stations are running dry. Georgia, Virginia, Florida, and North Carolina. This all after the cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's so good uh, to be with you. The pictures from my brother in Atlanta. The good Dr. Katz. The lines at gas stations. My, I got a text from my father. This morning, my father doesn't doesn't uh, often uh, text. He's a caller, right? My mother, she texts. My father texts. They hit two gas stations early in the morning. They were out. Another gas station had 10 cars in line. They went to the supermarket, uh, bought a, a whole bunch of food, and they're going to still try and find gas. It's 1979, people. This is what Joe Biden has wrought. Except we should be clear about a couple of things. Joe Biden didn't cause the cyber attack that took place on Colonial Pipeline. Joe Biden's silence to the attack on the pipeline now, that's a conversation. And when you have Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, saying things like this. Work together. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Thank you. Two topics, I'll go quick. Is the White House rethinking their opposition to new pipeline projects since one really important one goes offline and gas stations start running dry? I wouldn't say we look at it as it, through that prism, Peter. We look at it, we analyze uh, both the impact, the economic impact, as well as the environmental impact. And that will certainly remain the case, but we look at different each pipeline project uh, individually. So while the people of Georgia and Virginia and North Carolina and parts of Florida aren't able to get gas, this White House is saying, well, we would cancel other pipelines. Remember, they walked in canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. The Keystone pipeline already exists. The XL was about changing a bit of the route to make it easier. The pipeline already exists. The jobs are there. And they said, get rid of that. Get rid of it all. What happens when your ideology doesn't mesh with reality? Well, the answer is don't pay any attention to reality. That's this administration. Fools from beginning to end. But as I said, and you got to make sure you remember this, and you got to stay on people who go the other way, Biden is not responsible for a cyber attack. This is a cyber attack on Colonial Pipeline from the Russians, a group called Dark Side. Was this Vladimir Putin? Well, Vladimir Putin's going to tell you no. You know what I say? Of course it was Vladimir Putin. What are we, nuts? That's like saying something happens from China and it's not Xi Jinping. Let's not be silly. This group engaged a cyber attack. So what are we supposed to do about that? What's our plan now? This is where you get into a conversation about Joe Biden. The cyber attack was against Colonial Pipeline. Colonial Pipeline responded by doing what they're supposed to do, which is shutting down, following their protocols. The pipeline runs from Texas to New Jersey, and the pipeline is not pushing crude. The pipeline is pushing the refined product, specifically gasoline, specifically heating oil, among other things. So if this was December, you understand that the issue wouldn't be you in line getting gas for your car. This would be you unable to provide heat for your family. Understand what we're dealing with and how serious it is. Because it is remarkably, remarkably serious. So you have this group that engaged a cyber attack. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you that many, many moons ago, I said on this show, 
that the first thing, if I'm the Trump administration, this is 2017, the first thing I would do is I would push forth legislation on cybersecurity. Why? It's bipartisan. It's bipartisan, and you can get people together on this and at least start, start with the very idea of bringing people together. And even if you didn't bring people together, so what? At least you'd have the money towards cybersecurity and you'd stand a fighting chance. Cybersecurity is the great bipartisan issue. And the people who don't understand the importance of this, man, make sure your kids are studying now. Cybersecurity is the future. Cybersecurity, and you know Arabic or maybe Russian, you're going to do well. Baby boy, baby girl, going to make the bank. Bank! So what do you do about these hackers. That's the question for the Biden administration. And the silence is deafening. My 83-year-old father can't get gas. Hopefully he's got enough in the car in case he needs to go to a hospital. And he's 83. He goes to hospitals a lot. I'm not being mean, Producer Ari. He goes all the... The amount of phone calls I get, everything's fine. I had a little scare. I went to the ER. That happens once a month. That happens once a month. What, it's only my father? Stop it. I see you. I know who you are. We have the same dad. We're brothers, sisters. Wait, we're not sisters. We're not bro- we, We're related somehow. What does Biden do about this? Now, this is the question. This is the question. And the answer is one must respond because one cannot allow this death by a thousand cuts. To explain this, I need to use this line from Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah has never been an intellectual as the host of The Daily Show. Trevor Noah believes that his position as host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central makes him an intellectual. He is not Jon Stewart. He has never been, he never will be. And the problem with so many left-wing comics who are given these late-night shows is that they believe they have to be left-wing. If you can't make fun of your own people, what's the point? You can make fun of, of, of Mitch McConnell, right? It's easy to make fun of Mitch McConnell. As a matter of fact, I would argue that you should spend time making fun of Mitch McConnell each and every day. Because he has a lot of weirdnesses about him. He has a lot of strange things about him. How often do I play this? What, did I even hear that? There it is. They call them Cocaine Mitch. Every time I mention his name, I play that. It's a little jab. It's a little mocking. It's fine. It's fine. Am I not supposed to make fun of the fact that Donald Trump eats well-done steaks? It's laughable. It's laughable. Of course he's wrong. <laughs> Who cares? Well, no, I'm just saying that people will tell you you can't say anything about Trump. You can't say anything about this one. I think you can say things. I went with a very simple example about the well-done steaks. I'm also the guy who thinks he had a terrible press conference in Helsinki said so. Wasn't the end of days? 
I honestly assessed the situation and honestly talked about the situation, right? But the left can't ever make fun of the left. They can't do it. And considering all the late night hosts, Kimmel, Colbert, uh, even Fallon, the rest, they're still focused on Trump 24-7, Seth Meyers, who is very unfunny. Like, they can't get over Trump at all. But this brings us to Trevor Noah. Why do I bring him up? He, taking a look at what's going on in Israel, um, he makes an observation. He goes, if you start from Israel fired rockets into Gaza, then Israel's the bad guy because they're bombing Gaza. But then you take a step back in time, you go, well, but Hamas fired rockets at Israel. Then Hamas is the bad guy. But then you take a step back and you go, but the Israeli police went in and started beating up people in a mosque during Ramadan, the most holy time in the Muslim calendar. Well, then Israel's the bad guy. That's not totally how it happened. And then he goes back and back and back and back. And he goes, finally, I just want to ask an honest question here. If you're in a fight where the other person cannot beat you, how much should you retaliate when they try to hurt you? His argument about Israel is the Palestinians can't beat you, so why are you retaliating if they try to hurt you? And the answer, Trevor Noah, you fool, you pseudo-intellectual. And by the way, you knew this was a foolish thing to say when you said it. It's the kind of thing that you put forward uh, to uh, college juniors and they'll take it as, hmm, that's really intellectual, right? Because you know your base. But nobody who has ever lived a life would accept this. First, it isn't a little dog nipping at your heels. They kill people. They kill people constantly. Second, they strap bombs onto mentally disabled children, put them on buses so they can literally blow the, bl- blow the bus up, kill themselves and kill others. What are you saying? How much should you retaliate when they try to hurt you? Is there any question that the United States could completely destroy some cyber hacking group? Well, of course not. So we shouldn't do anything when they shut down the pipeline? And therefore we have Americans who are unable to get gas? My father has to question whether or not he can get himself to a hospital if needed. He can always call an ambulance. This is what you're relying on? The answer, of course, is the idea that you must respond. And you respond by making Vladimir Putin wonder what could happen to him. When you told me that Donald Trump wasn't responding uh, to, to, the, to the claims that the Russians were putting bounties on the heads of American soldiers, right? You kill an American soldier, you get a couple of bucks. Well, of course they're putting bounties on the heads of American soldiers. Don't be ridiculous. Of course they are. And I said, how about you execute Vladimir Putin in Red Square in front of his kids? Ari thinks the in front of his kids part is a, a, a little too much, but he's okay with the execution. So we'll go with Ari's plan. Now, you can give me another idea, but all I did was say, I'm not going to just complain about the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I would do. I shouldn't go after the hackers because, after all, I can beat them. The hackers are first exposing exactly how perilous American life is, how we rely on these things, and these things can be disrupted very easily. And number two, they're anticipating the fact that we won't do anything. And I think that's a mistake. I believe the way to respond to these foreign actors is not make the assumption or or even start questioning, did this come from Putin or not? Assume that it it did. And therefore respond in a way with such whole and complete illogic 
that it forces Putin to say, what in the world just happened? And it forces the Russian people to say, hey, stop hacking the Americans. Those people are crazy. With force and with violence so absolutely massive, it makes Vladimir Putin say, what happened here? Scares him and forces him to stop these people because, of course, Vladimir Putin can stop these people. I have no interest in a war and I have no interest in violence. I want to be left alone. But when people won't leave us alone, I believe in putting an end to them. Trevor Noah believes, hey, you're just being annoyed. That's okay. Now, I don't ever, ever condone the types of things where people show up at other people's houses. But I wonder how many people could show up at Trevor Noah's house five nights in a row before he called the cops. And that's how you know Trevor Noah doesn't know what he's talking about. That's how you know pseudo-intellectualism fails once it is once uh, a, a real-life experience and logic is applied to it. This gas shortage is a real issue. And it's going to take the Biden administration responding in a way that makes the Russians realize they have to stop this. No, I don't think Biden has the stomach for it. These people would rather punish the United States, you know, for the good of, of, uh, of the climate or something. I'm Tony Katz. I think it's wrong for people to say, how dare media not trust the CDC? How dare Senator Rand Paul go after Dr. Anthony Fauci? Fauci has lied. Fauci has confused. Fauci has upset. He's done a bad job in leadership. Why can't we say so? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying so. And we should also be clear, so is the CDC in misguiding people. I spoke about this yesterday, but I wanted to make sure I hit the numbers. Tony Katz, great to be with you on Tony Katz today. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. This was the CDC exaggerating outdoor COVID transmission risk. They said 10% of infections happen outside. But of course, that's not true. And they used a study out of Singapore that looked at construction sites. But what they did not note was that the construction sites were also indoors. So how can you take a look at classifying these events as outdoor events when they're happening as indoor events? So what I didn't get to yesterday was the numbers. I said 10%. They said 10% of coronavirus transmissions are occurring outdoors. But what they found is, oh, no, 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 no. The numbers are below 1%. Not 10%, not 10 out of every 100 but below 1%, one out of every 100. And not just below 1%, many believe as low as 0.1%. One-tenth of every 100 cases, which, if I do the math, is one in a 1,000. That's a big difference than 10% now, isn't it? So when the CDC director, Walensky says to you, you know, uh, if your 10-year-old is playing some, some soccer, you really should have them wearing 
a mask. I think that we saw last summer that there were outbreaks in summer camps and the kids um, had to go home. They had to um, to not attend these summer camps. We're trying to make it possible for these kids to be able to have as normal of a summer as possible. If people are playing tennis and they're they're far away, we can rec- we can say that their masks can come off. But if they're crowded on a soccer field, they're on top of each other, they're heavily breathing. We don't really think that's a good idea right now. These are kids who likely will not be vaccinated. One-tenth of one percent. And kids don't suffer the way adults do with this. They seem to be very resilient. I'm not saying coronavirus isn't real. I am saying one has to measure how they do these things. But no one can measure anything if they're being lied to by the quote-unquote experts. Speaking of the idea of experts, let's get it straight. The experts got this wrong. So this idea that we're supposed to listen to the experts, trust the experts. We Oh, the only thing that matters is the experts. No. That's not true. That's not factual. You take the expert's opinion, then you make a decision for yourself. And elected officials relying on doctors and saying, oh, the doctor said, the, the health commissioner said that's what we have to do. They don't need to be your elected official ever. This is Tony Katz today.